Ladies and gents, Tyson here from RelaxRunning.com. Welcome back to another week of the Relax Running Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Really good to have you here. Caught up with the great man Liam Adams today, who's an Australian marathon runner. Liam's just qualified for the 2020 Olympics, which is temporarily, well, I don't think it's gone ahead. I think they've delayed it. I think the actual IOC has said that uh, there's going to be no Olympics this year. So I caught up with Liam uh, just before that announcement was made, wanted to hear his headspace, wanted to hear his thoughts, because he'd recently qualified in Japan for the marathon running two hours 10, which is the second fastest time in Australia since I think Lee Troop ran it in about 2003. So Liam's hit some mighty fine form. So it was uh, it was interesting just to sit down with him and pick his brain, not only around, you know, what it feels like in this particular time for a distance runner, you know, anticipating the Olympics or you know, what he hopes would be the Olympics in the next little while, but just how he monitors his training and adjusts it in the meantime when he's trying to figure out what the heck is going on. We had a really good chat about uh, all things training, and like most weeks, I try and pick his brain about his perspective on how to improve as a distance runner. Really interesting. He's working full-time as an electrician, uh, and for a bloke who's just qualified for the Olympics, I think you're going to be amazed at the amount of work that he's doing on his feet every day. The early mornings that he's up to start work at, how he fits his training in and around that. I think it's a really inspiring conversation uh, for, for any of you who are balancing full-time work with your running training and uh, a real encouragement to know that if a bloke like Liam can do it and do it at such a high level, then, uh, hey, there's still a lot of chance for you to be able to improve your running rapidly if uh, even if you're working full-time. So I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, we did a bonus podcast episode with Liam as well. So if you enjoyed this chat, there's a lot more that you can listen to if you're a Relax Running member. Um, Relax Running members, uh, uh, we release two bonus podcasts a month. We have um, an Elite Insight video library. There's a forum where you can connect with a whole heap of other runners, ask your questions. If you want training programs, we've got all that there for you. It's a good little community. So uh, it's five bucks a month jump on board. You have a three free day trial. If you sign up for that $5 a month program and you decide after two or three days you don't like it, you, you can obviously just end it there and um, you know there's there's no charge to you, but you'll still get access to a lot of the interviews. But be good to have you to stick around. Um, guys, that's about, that's about all from me. Let me get out of your way. Uh, this is myself and Liam Adams. I was, I was thinking before you got here, I think I asked you, the, the last time we actually hung out was bloody years ago now. When when was it actually? It must have, oh. it was probably on the same trip with Jess Trengove in Canada where we, I, I trained with you I for a little while. It was training after that maybe. You were still training. Because where are you based? Around. I was out in the western suburbs of Melbourne. I was living in Footscray yeah. and I remember I reached out to you because you were kicking my ass every race. And I'll <laughs> Along the Maribyrnong River, I reckon, yeah, because yes. I, I still do lots of running out there, so. Well, it's yeah. a perfect place to run. Yeah. I, um, the, the memory I have is one day me, you, and Waleed, we were, do you remember, it was like a absolutely pumping, terrible day for running, and we were running through like big, deep mud baths, and yeah. we finished the run that looked like we'd been mud wrestling. Not, do you remember that? I do, yeah. Um, Where was that? I think there's, there's. Many of stories with Wallet and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the one that you were on. Yeah. But 
Um, I reckon it was Ash Watson for this one, but we went for a long run along Maribyrnong River, <laughs> came back along the muddy side that you're probably talking about uh-huh. now, slipping over and yeah. whatever else. <laughs> um, but there was that one run where we're running along, it started bucketing down rain and Wallard's, we've dropped Wallard. I'm pretty sure it was Ash Watson this time. Yeah. But uh, we've dropped Wallard and we're like, okay, we've just got to wait a little bit once we get back to the cars. And we get back to the cars and we don't see Wallard, so... We've decided to turn the um, – we're, we're under this, like, like um, kind of um, – there's, like, barbecues and stuff like that. So we're, it's freezing cold. So we've turned the barbecues on and we're just using them to heat up. So we're sitting on the barbecues to keep warm and we're waiting for Wallet. Um, and probably about 20, 30 minutes later, Wallet rocks up in a cab. <laughs> he, apparently, he apparently knocked on the door. And of just some random's house, he's just like, just cracked it in this run. He's just walked off. He's gone to the side, knocked on someone's door and asked if they could call a cab for him. <laughs> so we're freezing cold. We couldn't get into our cars because the keys were locked in Wallet's car. So <laughs> we're just shivering there. Oh, man, it's a, he's a blast from the past, bro. Oh, like, yeah. And he, I'm sure you've got a million oh, stories. I, I do have a million stories, but I just... I just I actually didn't ever really spend a heap of time with Lou outside of outside of your group, yeah. but I would, I would always see him at a race and just immediately feel a million times more calm because yeah. I would go up and I'm like, hey, what are you doing, man? How are you going? It's like, oh, I'm just everything was so chilled. Yeah. But what, man, he's a, he's a name that comes with, with some funny stories. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's funny. I'd love to. I'd love to pick your brain for eight <laughs> I reckon that's probably the last time we'll probably catching up around then. Maybe when you're what doing was some it, 2012. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's because I finished up in 2013 or 14. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, it was a. Uh, there were some good times around there. 2010 was good as well. Like I've, yeah. I've laughed a little bit with Jess's stories and. Uh, Hey, you going all right? Hey, hello. Hey. What's going on? I'm the king editor in these moments as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was funny a couple of weeks ago, actually. We, uh, we were sitting in here and there was a whole family outside having a barbecue. I might not even edit that part out. Oh, Just, we're getting no, these local, like, because where we're recording yeah, no, right now, it's, uh, I call this the podcast studio. So it's level yeah. nine, the community terrace of <laughs> our apartment. Like, these little Asian dudes so, just strutted through with a, don't edit it, with a piece of that steak. Was, that, was, that was good. <laughs> that was good quality. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, so I've been getting sentimental because I caught up with Jess uh, Stenson now, Jess Trengove, and uh, we were talking about this, this Canada trip. And... That was the first time I reckon I spent some quality time with you. And I remember yeah. the day after your race, which I think you finished second that year. It was yeah. a bloody close yeah. race. I reckon I saw you in your in your finest form because it was celebration hour. And I reckon I woke up to cuddles from Liam Adams that <laughs> next morning. And the ho- remember the hotel owner came up to him and he's like, God, you got to settle down. Yeah. And um, I think we were, I can't remember what we said, but man, it was just the funniest experience those couple of weeks in Canada. Oh, it was a good trip. It was a great bunch of people on that trip, and that's that's what really makes those trips. Uh-huh. And yeah, I I've got memories of that. Yeah, definitely. And there's friends from that trip that you'd say are friends for a lifetime. Obviously, yeah, yes, yeah. great yeah. bunch of people, and and it's a stepping stone for a lot of runners. Yeah, so. bloody oh, that's a good way to put yeah. it. Well, you ran at a couple of World Unicross two. Yeah, so, where was your first one in France? Okay, so there was a couple. Oh, trying to think there was a couple of people which were on that trip which were on their um canadian trip as well so 
Yeah, okay. I knew a couple of people before that, but a few new faces and that and a few up-and-comers and a few people that I'd call friends before that trip. So, yeah, yeah it was a good trip. It's gone back a few years, and I'm dancing around here a little bit, but um, your name's come up on the podcast a couple of times because <laughs> just like... Embarrassing stories, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. I'm not embarrassing oh, stuff yeah. that... Um, just Liam Adams stories that just submit you as like a running legend. Um, where I can't remember who I was talking to about this. It might have been Sam McEntee a few weeks ago, but uh, your name yeah. came up, and yeah. uh, I was just talking about the the reputation you've got when it comes to just being able to punish yourself in in a running. Well, actually, on and off the track, he comes out mate again. Here we go. This is going to be a classic podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on and reflecting. yeah, that's right. On on, uh, on and off the track. But I reckon one of the best ones is this true? This is a more like a rumor collection yeah. uh, to make sure. Uh, he was saying, uh, we were talking about you after Sydney Bay in, it was like 2014 or 15, you had maybe a shocker of a race or a race that you came second in and you thought you should have won and you flew in and after flying in, did you run Did you run home from the airport? Oh, I'm trying to think which one that would have been. Oh, with McEntee in there? No, McEntee wasn't in the run. We were just, we were just having a oh, chat okay. about the fact that it happened. Am I just making up stories no, here? Because I've no, told no. that as fact. <laughs> it, it prob- I definitely did do one. I'm just trying to think what it, what it was. I just don't think I felt like I'd raced that day. So I kind of decided, oh, yep, I'll give my – I think Charlotte was there that day. So I gave her my bag to take home with her and I ran from the airport back home. And <laughs> what it was a 30K. Was, I think it was 30K where I averaged – I think I started out thinking, oh, yeah, if I go under four-minute Ks – the way back, it'd be a good run. And I started hitting 330s and then I just started going 320s and then 310s and then I think it averaged to about 320 maybe, <laughs> something silly. What was yeah. that for a marathon? What pace is I, that? Like oh, a 220s? I'm, I'm not sure. But oh, I think I did it deliberately kind of because I wanted to be kind of marathon ready for something. So yeah. I'm just trying to think what I was training for after that. Um, but that's a huge story. I think the one that I was kind of disappointed with City Bay was maybe 2016, so um, the Olympic year. So I came back from um, the Olympics and I had a pretty bad heel injury um, or ankle, and um, I had uh, got some scans done, so I kind of knew that I was. Uh, going to be spending a few months out. Yeah. I, I don't think this would have been the reason why I did 30K, though, because that would have been stupid of me to do that. That would have been sending me a, a bit longer in the recovery phase. But, um, yeah, for the 2016 one, I was pretty disappointed. So I don't think it was because I was annoyed with the race. I think I was probably preparing for a marathon that one. But the 2016 one, um, I had an injury, but I – was probably um, still – I was keeping the fitness up a little bit because I had promised a friend, Steve Deneen, that I was going to pace him for Melbourne Marathon. So yeah. um, did see it at Bay. I probably shouldn't because it was only a few weeks after the Olympics and I wasn't really fit. So did that, didn't have a good result there. And um, I just – I kind of did it because I need to get some fitness yeah. for Melbourne to kind of help my friend out and pace him. So did that race and then said, yep, all right, after this race, I'm having like two or three months off yeah, because beautiful. I got a pretty bad tear in my ankle. So so yeah. what was the story there? What happened to your ankle? 
Uh, so it was, I think, just before the Olympics, um, <coughs> ran that qualifying standard in um, Poland on the final day of the selection period. Uh-huh. So um, got told, I, I got announced into, I got told quietly that I had made the Olympic team and that they were going to do an announcement Monday. And I was running um, Great Ocean Road, um, Run to Paradise, 14K race. Um, so I did that race and I was staying down, oh, trying to think where it was, maybe Barwon Heads or something like that, and staying with a few friends. It was a house I wasn't familiar with, but yeah. went down, did a, a race there to try and start prepping for the Olympics and getting right back into the training. And... Had a good result down there, kind of bit of a training session, and I kind of said during the run, "All right, um, I'm going to ramp it up here, boys." So <laughs> I think maybe Brenton Rowe was in there and Nick Earl. So there's some quality guys in there. I'm like, "Boys, I'm going to start dropping some 250ks here," and we were on the uphill on the run to paradise. So it was like just before the turnaround point, I've said, all right, I'm going here. So I started going in some two fifties and the boys kind of went and they're like, no, nah, we're not going with you today. And so I was in pretty good shape and really like focused for the Olympics and like, yeah, sweet. Awesome. Um, this is a good way to start my prep. And that night I was like bringing stuff into the house uh, that we were staying at. Cause, um, a few people were racing the next day, so we're going to go early yeah. um, to Great Ocean Road to Lawn and stuff like that to kind of help people out to get their stuff um, before the start line and whatever else. And I was getting some stuff from the car and bringing it inside. And I, as, I, as I was walking out to the car, I've missed this flight of three stairs oh. and I thought I was stepping down oh. one of the steps. And I've done. I've dropped probably about maybe two feet, and oh. I've just I've landed and jarred my ankle, and I couldn't walk properly for about a week. And with my line of work, I'm up and down ladders, and I couldn't put any weight on my foot. So I was kind of just like. So what year did you say this was? When was 2016. This? This so it was just as they're about to announce the Olympic team. I oh. done this jar and. I couldn't run properly for a few weeks um, and I was just like, how am I going to sort this out? And I went, Steve Deneen sorted me out and got me back running properly because it was like every time I'd go for a run, I'd feel it all the time. And I got to a point maybe a month and a half into my preparation where you could feel it a tiny bit, but it wasn't painful. It was going away and then... I had a few months of training where, nah, couldn't feel it at all. And then came race day at Rio. It was like wet and really slippery. Oh, yeah. Um, so we were kind of preparing for all this hot weather and stuff like that and humid weather, but it was, wasn't was that humid. It was, it was humid, but we had like cooler conditions that day. So it was, we went, did our warm up. And in the warm up, I've kind of just running around and I've slipped. And I've like jarred, like slipped and kind of tweaked my ankle a little bit. And I've just gone, oh no, I can feel this. So I've like doing the warm up and I can feel it. I'm just like, oh no, this isn't good. You can't be feeling this during the race. Like before the race, this isn't going to end well. 
and just like played on my mind the whole race, but I could feel it every step. And then I kind of paced myself slowly, got into the race, and it just got worse as the race went on. But that wasn't kind of the issue where I where I kind of felt like I'd stuffed up that race. But, yeah, it kind of made my, my ankle worse during the race. And as I crossed the finish line, <laughs> there's like these two photos of me crossing the line where I'm like skating on the one foot. And it's just because it was so slippery, that finish line. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sliding on this one f- foot across the finish line and the newspapers are reporting, oh, Liam's so fatigued that he's <laughs> barely made it across the line. He can't even keep his coordination. And it was just so slippery. It was um, one of the Americans, like two positions later after me, he's just about to cross the finish line and he slips over before the finish line. And it's just so chaotic that... It's just like he's just fallen over and he's just started doing push-ups on the finish line and then crosses the line and everyone's cheering him <laughs> on. But then after that, they were just everyone was like getting out there with towels and trying to wipe it down. So is it oil so on the road or is it just purely the water on the on the road? That's oh, crazy to think that an Olympic I think marathon. A little bit of oil, but yeah. it's it's they're kind of like Samba Stadium. So oh, along, yeah. you know, you know that famous when they have yes. there, like Mardi Gras. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah so they I know that yeah, actually yeah. yeah yeah so um, yeah it's just along there so it's just this long stretch and I think maybe they might have put some printing down for the Olympics oh, and I okay. think it's just people sliding on the printing yeah it's interesting you say it though because I remember uh, it, dude this is it's such a stretch comparison but um, the worst feeling before a big event is doing a little injury like that where you, you know it's going to affect you. I copped a corky before like a local game of footy once and I was panicking because I was like oh no this is going to be a really bad game but before the Olympics to get a bloody niggle or to reignite a niggle like that psychologically that's a that's a tough little battle that you take into a race but I feel like also it's one of those things that I reckon you're well known for like in, in my mind but amongst a lot of people is you've got that real ability just to just to push through some crazy amount of hurt, yeah. Like, is that a is is that something that you you've had to work on, or does that just come with the territory of being being you? Oh, it's something I've definitely worked on. Yeah, obviously, things happen which are out of your control, or whatever else, or things do happen, and it's quite unfortunate. But I feel if you take the approach of if you let that affect you mentally then you can't perform at your best. So you kind of got to block it out and pretend that you're still going to run well and go in there confident that you're going to run well. So um, I feel that that's the only way you can really approach situations like that. So that's been my approach all the time. You get niggles, you get injuries and whatever else, you've just got to work through it. And um, I guess pretty much most races I do, I've, gone against it this kind of rule i've kind of been you finish at all costs so um i kind of broke that rule trying to qualify for rio olympics (laughs) and stuff like that (laughs) but that was kind of that was my first race just knocked it what was the purpose of his visit by the way sorry guys i've just there's a tap in this room that the one time of the day that we decided to use it old mates coming here and Actually, it might not even be him. It looks like it's a little. It only just started then, though. <laughs> yeah, you're a yeah. funny, you're a little bit. Yeah, no, it's all right. Yeah. So you won't even be able to hear it. Yeah, no. um, 
So, yeah, Brett Robinson last week, he was saying that uh, he's got the same kind of reputation in my mind. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, how do you do it? And he said, he's like, oh, I just go to a happy place. And I was yeah. like, how do you go to a happy place when <laughs> you're in Gilmore? Yeah, that, that's what he said, bro. That's a, it's so funny that you mentioned Happy Gilmore because I was going to ask. I do like, like that movie. <laughs> so, like, when you say you go to a, not a happy place, but when you say just psychologically you switch and you're ready to go, like, where, how do you how do you adjust? Like, is there any particular routine you go through? Or you Maybe just... I'm doing something similar. I'm going to that happy place. <laughs> is that what you're doing? Oh, I, I don't know. It's I just got to reassure myself that all the work's done and that, this won't affect you. So yeah. it's you just gotta treat everything, any anything hard or any hurdle that you get, you just gotta treat it normally and like it's the best prep you've ever had and you're gonna run well. So yeah. I guess if you can do that then you're gonna probably run the best to best of your ability on the day. Whereas if you said, Oh, this is gonna affect me then I guess you might be giving in a bit earlier than you can or you're not going to push as hard as you possibly can because you know that you've got, you're not going to run well or you're not going to run your best. So there's that excuse of maybe, all right, we'll take it a little bit easier and maybe go into protection mode or whatever. So yeah, um, I guess it's all dependent really. Like, it's funny, yeah, because yeah. I've got memories of even in high school watching you just at the front of a pack, just grinding through a race. And uh, I, I knew, I don't know what it is, Matt Bailey, I put in the same category. Remember him? Yeah, he Matt, was a... Gutsy runner, gutsy yeah. guy, man. Yeah. yeah, I put you in that same category. Brett Robinson. Yeah, I was even looking down, like, because he was like a few years younger than me. I was always looking down at him and going, "Geez, he's a good runner. He's gutsy." What so, is he doing these days? Because he sort of just disappeared a little bit, probably not like, sure. like me, just disappeared I, I really from the scene. It's funny when you look back at the junior yeah. days, isn't it? And you just see who sort of lasted and and, yeah. and who got going. But um, speaking about just about progression and like the comparison from juniors to seniors, it's been it's been a nice little experience watching your your rise the last last few years so i'm glad yeah. i know i said this before we hit record on the podcast but um before we uh i'm glad you got the rio olympics yeah. under your belt because it's yeah. a really strange sort of time at the moment you've just run an olympic qualifier what you're on 210 48 yep 210 40 is that yeah. a pb yeah it's a pb Holy it's crap. That uh, is a fast time yeah um i guess when i ran the result i actually didn't know that it was Fastest time since I think two thousand and three, maybe Lee Troop. Oh, so, all Australians. Yeah, yep. Oh wow! So what so did Troop be run back then? Oh, he was a sub two ten, I think that okay. one in that race, and then I think there was another runner who also ran a two ten that year as well, who might have, might have been a few months earlier than that. So yeah, it's been a funny, it's been a funny old time, and it's nice to. Um, it's nice to have that qualifying time under your belt at the oh, moment. Definitely. But what you saying? You were supposed to, or you were hoping to run the the London Marathon uh, before before you had to go to Japan. We won't say it. Won't say yeah, it. Um, Maybe this is the part of that. Oh, good. I, I don't. I don't mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I just thought uh, last year I just had a hectic year of work. So especially towards the end, we had all these like handovers and now we're. Some really expensive mansions and Hawthorne and Turak and wherever else. And uh, we were under the pump last year. So I was working some big hours, 50, 60 hour weeks towards the end of the year. And I think it was only about, um, I guess, before that, I tried to qualify. Should I go into detail like, or just... Man, whatever you're comfortable okay. with. Like, I'm happy to say guess, whatever you yeah. want. Like, I'm not, I'm not feeling <laughs> anything. I'm just saying what you did. So, yeah, I'll, I'll divert back to 
my original plans to try and qualify for the Olympics and that was at Gold Coast and I missed that by six seconds. So um, it was really tough, windy conditions. So that kind of forced me to try and go out and do another marathon and I thought, all right, Berlin's the marathon to do. So set my sights on that and I got a chest infection for that run. So I was starting to get into some really good shape and I was thinking, you beauty, this is where I run the qualifying standard and I, I try and cement my spot here. And got the chest infection and just four or five weeks where I couldn't run well. So I wasn't really doing more than 100k weeks and went to Berlin knowing that I wasn't going to run well. So I just said, oh, I spent a bit over five grand for flights, accommodation and whatever else for this race. I'm like free hit at the Olympics. So let's just try and just run the qualifier and see if that's going to be enough. And I just went to pace and fell off at about 29k and like i'm done here the chest is <coughs> really struggling so i like after that i'm like pulled i pulled the pin in that race at about 34k mark and i'm just like all right i need some time off to get the body right this chest infection's been shocking so had a bit of time off work um off running um was like all right i'm gonna get back into it but then work got chaotic and there's some big hours and from September to early December, I was probably only doing 60K weeks. Yeah, really? Yeah, so really small and I had plans of doing Zatapec and I just threw them out the window just because um, work was my priority at the time. Yeah. Um, so the running took a little bit of a shift and I'm just like uh, I originally wanted to do Lake Biwa Marathon, had my entry in and – only started to build up general fitness in December and then it was start of January where I was like starting to do some marathon training. So I hit my first, I think I jumped from about 140K straight into a 210K week. Oh, wow. uh, that was that, um, it was that week where it was um, K, every K is a dollar for the bushfires and stuff like that and that was roughly when I started my marathon prep and that was the period or oh, the weeks and or two before that, it was like quite kind of smoky because I was up in Sydney for just around New Year's um, visiting Charlotte's parent and whatever yeah. else. So I wasn't getting some good training in there and then you started getting smoking conditions in Melbourne and then Falls Creek and that and I'm just like, I'm not going to um, get the required training in for yeah. Lake Biwa. So... I'm like, all right, got to try and get into another marathon. Um, I don't know if we'll edit out the name of that marathon. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, so I was looking for something around April, May yeah. and got got the no from that and I kind of knew that I was going to get the no from that race once I saw the uh, fields announced. Yeah. So um, it is what it is. Uh, so I was just like, all right. I got to go all in here, <laughs> so it was. I was kind of arms are tied, Lake Biwa. So let's go do a short prep and try and qualify for the Olympics. So had four weeks off work and just trained like a professional athlete, and I was racking up my biggest mileage weeks ever. So um, I think before this this little stint at Falls Creek, my highest mileage week was about two hundred thirty eight. I think this one I averaged oh, 
243, 244 Ks a week oh for four gosh. weeks straight. And yeah, I think. How'd the body adjust? How'd you fight? Obviously, pretty bloody well. Oh, well, surprisingly <laughs> well, yeah. If you told me that you're going to do that type of mileage, I'm like, oh, don't know how I'd do it. So, <laughs> yeah, how do you so, yeah, that kind of mileage? What are you doing? Like, what does your week look like in that situation? Well, generally, uh, my weeks are, well, just because of work, I'm one run a day. So, um, being in that situation where I'm training like a professional athlete, I can do two runs a day. So, it was a lot easier. And interestingly, um, those t- those big mileage weeks, those 240-plus K weeks were easier than a standard week where I'm at work, working for, like, say, my average working week, 40 to 45-hour weeks, and then trying to fit in 180K weeks on top of that. So um, is that what you're usually doing? You're working yeah. a full-time job and then on top of that run the 180K a week? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I try and run, much, yeah. one run each day. Yes, yeah. What's so, equal there? I'm trying to do the math right now. Um, it's generally I try and look at about 30k a day but it's not because 30k a day is like 210 yeah. um so I'm short of that I try and get towards 200k weeks but generally I found over the last few years 180k is kind of <laughs> that sweet spot so um so what time are you getting up in the what time do you start actually you must be having some yeah, early it's, it's not a, it's not a morning run I tell you that I no, be good decision um so I guess I find out where I'm working the night before. So sometime maybe after 9 o'clock I might be getting a text message saying you're working here. Um, this time we're At this time we're starting and it could be other side of the city. It could be pretty close or whatever else. But generally you're travelling about 30, 45 sometimes an hour. Yeah. Um, so... Most days we generally start 7, 7.30, but you have days where you're starting 6 or even earlier if you're working in a restaurant and you're starting at about 4.30 in the morning. Are you so, kidding me? Yeah, so some nights I'm, well, I'll, I'll just go through a general day. Oh, so, yeah, that'd be, that'd so be awesome I, to see. Say I start at 7, 7 o'clock in the morning, so getting up maybe 5.30, 6, getting up, um, just a general thing, drive to work, start 7.00. Get home from work because it's generally I'm working more than eight hour days. So um, I'm getting home, I'm finishing maybe somewhere between four o'clock and five, and then driving home. So I'm getting home at maybe six. And by the time I'm starting my run, it might be pretty much six or somewhere between six and seven thirty. So I'm starting my run then or starting training around then. So once I'm finishing training, I'm probably getting home nine thirty, ten. And then it's like, all right, dinner, lunches, prepare for tomorrow, unwind. It's getting close to 12 o'clock that I'm um, trying to start heading towards bed or whatever. So I'm getting bugger all sleep and I'm I'm a person who just loves my sleep. So <laughs> I'm waking up like a zombie every morning. I'm just like, oh, so much pain. I wish I could get another hour or two sleep, but it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not a morning person. I'm more of a, a night person. So I, I struggle to get to sleep and then I just 
wanting to sleep in a bit longer. So I just try and maximise my sleep in the morning. So yeah, yeah. When when the boss says it's oh you got a four thirty start in the morning, I'm crying. How I'm in often tears. are the four thirty starts? Oh, not not that often really. Oh. You're kind of only doing that when it's kind of like a restaurant and they need you to kind of get in before um, the chefs start getting in there to prepare for the breakfasts and whatever else. So it's not that often. I can, I can just hear stuff. so many people at home who are like, oh, I've got a full-time yeah. job. I can't really justify training. Oh, the going, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. There are some tradie runners out there and they, they tell me about the, how hard it is. Well, I was going to ask you. So it's, uh, it, it still it sort of blows my mind that a bloke who's qualified, run on an Olympic team, going to another Olympics. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, hopefully. Well, uh, hopefully another <laughs> Olympics. Um, is is still working a full time job, but but more than that, like you're probably on your feet all day during that time as well, eh? Yeah, you're not yeah, just sitting behind a desk, yeah, just uh, resting you're up. On, you're de- definitely on your feet all the time, and uh, some days are worse than the others. So um, I found that there's been quite a few days where I just get home from work, and I'm just like, I can't get out the door today. I'm just so tired from work that. A night, um, a nap or whatever is going to be more vital. Um, if I wake wake up from this nap and feel all right, then I'll go for my run. Sometimes I just don't get a run in that day just because it's just so exhausting and t- like I'm just so tired. So I'm just like it's either stress the immune system a little yeah. bit more and run the risk of getting sick, get the work done, or just try and make up for it on another day. And generally um, I might try and make up for it on another day um i just got to read the situation a bit whether how i'm feeling how the body's feeling and i kind of feel that that's made me a smarter runner so i don't get as sick that often anymore like i guess as a kid i was an asthmatic so i had all issues with the lungs and whatever else and i guess that situation in um in berlin for that prep was kind of similar to what i used to get all the time so um, I'd get like a little chest infection or a cough and it would last maybe a month. So I was always thought, thoughtful of if I go out and do this run, is it that important? Am I running the risks? You've got to assess whether um, basically there's more benefit than the risk. Um, so some situations where a jog probably isn't that beneficial you're probably best to have some rest i've kind of felt that i've picked it quite well recently and i don't get as sick as what i used to get so have you ever had the chance to apart from that four-week block that you're talking about have you ever had a chance just to live the life of a professional athlete in terms of just wake up run rest recover etc to an extent when i did uni and that yeah yeah. (laughs) that's probably the opportunity but i still had during that period i was still doing maybe one or two nights of night film at the local Woolworths. So <laughs> you got to kind of support yourself. And um, I was kind of heading towards maybe being able to be a professional athlete. but And I was meeting the standards for NAS funding or whatever else, support from the, the sport. But um, I was always told when I met the criteria that, Sorry, it was discretion. So, and what is that? That's just Athletics Australia going, yes, no, you're in, you're out. Basically, so they would, I'd meet the criteria time wise, and I'd be like, okay, cool. So that's going to help my running in that. And then I'd be like, the head of athletics will go, or the head of 
performance would go. No, we don't see you as being on our radar. So, but how do they um, justify it? Like, what do they say to you is the reason for? Because that seems crazy to me. I don't know. Um, I, there's politics. Oh. There's there's favourites and all that type of thing, and people look after each other in that situation. So, um, I kind of knew that I wasn't on their radar, and that I'd never meet their criteria. So I was like, <clears throat> look, i got to start thinking of the future. So I guess that's how I got into the trade was, well, I wanted to do that out of high school, but I was taught, <clears throat> sorry, um, I was always taught that it was going to be too labouring on the body and stuff like that. But I thought, look, I've got to start thinking of the future. So that's how I got into it. I contacted a few people, some a few runners, Nath Hardigan. Oh, the, um, king, the king of Ballarat. Yeah. He's a legend. <laughs> um, Kane Willey, um, PJ Bosch. Oh, yeah. All these guys who, running background, who are sparkies and stuff <laughs> like that, and I contacted them and said, what do you think of this? I've got to start thinking of the future, um, obviously, been told that I'm not going to make it as a professional runner and and whatever else. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like they've gone basically. They've kind of – some have said, yeah, you can do it. You can still manage it. Um, but some have said, say goodbye to your running career. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, contacted them and I'm just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. Um, and decided to do it, and that's how I got into the my apprenticeship and the trade. Mate, so, I would love to know. I would love to and, have yeah. your folks work in those hours and, and run a two hour ten marathon. And the hilarious thing, I go out and run a two <laughs> two oh oh two ten forty eight, which is the fastest time for seventeen or so years, and still not on there. Right well, yeah, so. okay. So, this is, <laughs> so this, it's the favourites, dude. But that it's uh, it makes Athletics Australia look ridiculous. I think I think that's the chaos. I can say it now because I've got no, nothing to do. Nothing yeah. to do with I won't say too. No, much no, about you know, it. it's still Tyson Popplestone's words. Um, but it's just uh, I just don't understand. I'd love to be able to sit down and have a chat with them about okay, what the. What are you thinking? Because the what did you say? The fastest time in however many years going Since into two thousand and three, I think. Going was, into yeah. a, so seventeen Leitrup, years, maybe. going into an Olympics. Um, Lee Troop was a, a Nike sponsored man, wasn't he? Yeah. And yeah. what are you? Are you won the Melbourne Marathon wearing your tradies, yeah. your tradies kit. So what is that? Uh, so for those of you, especially in the states, who might not know the tradies kit over here, Liam runs in a what is it? It's like a fluorescent yellow, yeah, a high vis, so a, <laughs> a high vis shirt. And yeah. I remember I was lined up at the uh, twenty eighteen Melbourne Marathon. And uh, I saw you at the start line, gave you a shout out, and I was standing back there, and I, I think I was more decked out in terms of the gear that I was wearing. And uh, and I looked at you, and I was thinking, I reckon Liam's looking high vis shirt. What's going on there? But is that just because like your work's pretty much your sponsor? No one else is looking after you at this stage, so you may as well just rep rep that. Or what's the story behind the shirt? Well, I guess I kind of I did lose my sponsorship. Like it wasn't really anything that. So Adidas. Yeah, Addy, right? Yeah, I was Addy running with you. So, yeah. Um, so, did all that stuff. Had the, just the product type of deal where they look after you with product and stuff like that. And yeah. went into Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast and it'd been six months of emails and no replies. And I'm just like, well, obviously I'm not sponsored, but yeah. <laughs> I haven't been told that I'm not sponsored and they can't look after me. So, I sent them an email saying, thank you for all the support over the years. But, Looks like I've just got to start buying my own gear and stuff like that. 
and no response to that. But yeah, I just started buying my own gear and it's just an idea, well, I'm not sponsored, um, not aligned with any brands. Um, I work to support my running. So you know what? Why not do something different? And that's where the tradie singlet come out was through that. And um, hilarious thing with that that uh, Melbourne Marathon, um, running along with a few of the Kenyans and international <laughs> runners. And uh, <laughs> I get this call at, along Fitzroy Street. We're running along and someone's yelled out, you're only cheating yourself. Like, that's at me. <laughs> I think they just think that I've just ran and I've just jumped in at some point and and then I'm wearing a tradie singlet or, well, probably to them, they, I might have looked like the local garbage man trying to grab bins off the side of the road. So, um, yeah, I, I had a bit of a chuckle during that race and, uh, yeah, up there with the Kenyans, mixing it with them in um, Not a mixing singlet, it, you kicked so. their ass, didn't you? You beat them. Yeah, yeah, one, one Melbourne marathon that day. So, yeah, and... Ever since that day, I've had a lot of personal messages in inboxes, maybe Instagram, Facebook or whatever, and people are just saying how inspired they were from that run, Um, seeing an everyday person, someone who is the same as them. Like, I guess people get stressed out with their work. They work full time and they struggle to mix mix their balance, their work life and hobby balances and running and whatever else so they have their struggles and i've had my struggles with balancing the work and running and they a lot of people have messaged me saying that they've been inspired to see someone who's exactly like them go mix it with some uh, professional runners and stuff like that and showing that it can be done that you can still run well um, working a full-time job in that so got plenty of messages and there's been Quite a few tags of um, people wearing the tradie singlet as well in races. So, <laughs> yeah, got a, have, you got official, have you got an official tag for it? Because, mate, yeah, that's the good thing about these kind of stories. Like, as frustrating as it is to the like the, the a bloke like me who knows enough about athletics to know how ridiculous yeah. it is that you're not running around in a kit or you don't yeah. have you know a heap of funding or whatever behind you. Well, there's there has been a few little sponsorship offers, and it's been a little bit of gear and. I had one company say, oh, here's a here's a race kit for you. And I'm just like, you don't sponsor me. So why should I wear a professional yeah. sponsored kit when you're not even looking after me? I'm different to these guys I race. They're professionals. I'm an amateur. So I'm just like, no, I'm wearing my tradie singlet. Yeah, <laughs> their, their kit might be a lot better and thinner and not going to create as much chafe or whatever, but I'm different to them. So... I was just like, no, I'm not wearing the kit and like that. So you should. Um, I'm just. It's so funny. I'm just. I feel like I've got my agent's hat on right now. Um, I'm just. I keep thinking about all the people that we could get in contact with just to be able to hook you up. But um, that'll be that'll be probably easier to talk about than it will be to set up. You got more swinging power than me. But even um, even Jess is. She's rocking a like an Asics sponsor. I, I don't understand yeah. why a brand like that wouldn't look. Have you reached out to these guys yourself or? Um, you sort of just you're just happy to rock it, and um, Not, as long as you're uh, running well. I've, I guess working full time, you can kind of afford your own gear. Yeah. So I've just been like, you know what, oh, I'm not going to jump through hoops and whatever else to just get a couple of pairs of shoes, a couple of pairs of shorts, and some singlets. 
for the year. Yeah. Um, I can afford that. Why not just stay unsponsored? Yeah, about it's it? a good so, And the, the fact is I kind of feel it, find it more fulfilling that um, it's motivating other people. So why, why wear a sponsored kit? Why pretend I'm sponsored when I'm not? And why not try and inspire people to run a bit better, get out there and try and chase some PBs? So it's like, why bother? Yeah, that's a great point, man. That's a great point. And uh, for the amount of uh, feedback, I did an interview with Ben Buckingham a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I think I called it balancing full-time work and uh, balancing full-time work and full-time training. And it's one of the most popular episodes. And I think it is because so many people have connected with the fact that, oh, okay, so say 95% of my audience, I don't know for sure, uh, uh, working full time, a lot of these people are dealing with the stress of oh crap, I might not be able to actually reach my potential because of the, you know I've got all this other, I've got family to deal with, I've got work to deal with, I've got you know I've got all yeah. these other commitments. But to hear a bloke like yourself speak, and it's not even you've just pumped pumped a little bit of blood into this story by saying it's not even just sitting behind a desk. You're mm. you're on your feet. That that is yeah. cool, man. It doesn't surprise me that so many people have, have connected with that message. Yeah. And to what you'd be the only official qualifier at the moment for the for the olympics if they take place we've oh, got to talk about that yeah there's um three qualifiers and we're all pretty close in so time, who's so. qualified actually robbo's probably yeah he's, he's only yeah. a few seconds behind me and yeah. there's jack who's only a few seconds behind brett as well so, so okay so i wasn't sure whether jack had already qualified yeah he's, he's got a qualifying but he's too. just injured at the moment yeah okay because yeah. i thought for some reason that he'd run a qualifying time but it was outside of the no oh, it's, okay, it's so in the, three it's in the qualifying period um and that's uh yeah. So, what's your headspace like at the moment in terms of okay? So you got the time, you got the selection, yet just hoping there's going to be a bloody Olympics. Like who who prepares for the coronavirus? What a weird experience. Current scope and environment. Wow, it's it's tough, isn't it? So I was pretty lucky to get my marathon in in the time that it was, and there was from what I heard from the organisers of this Japanese marathon, Lake Biwa, they, there was some pressure over there to kind of maybe cancel the race too. And it wasn't a mass gathering type marathon, but they're kind of getting quite strict with their rules over there. And um, so that wasn't going to go going to go ahead. And within running that race a few days later, it just seems like everything was sh- shutting up, all these races being cancelled and postponed and... And as it's a few weeks later, it's basically like, well, I can't see anyone getting their qualifying races now. So how's that fair? It's like it's been compromised, the qualifying period. So you're going to have to extend it a few months or whatever else. And when do you extend it? It's No one knows how, how bad this coronavirus is going to be. It might last half a year, could last a few months. Things might get better soon. Things might take a year or two to get better. So it's, I guess, the fact that Olympics haven't made a decision, I guess you kind of want to know that the Olympics is being postponed or cancelled or whatever else, but I kind of see that they're doing the right thing by not making a, a statement now and saying, here's your new date. They're trying to hold out until they've got more information and seeing whether countries are dropping in their rates and whatever else. Um, so I think they're doing the right thing by delaying that statement of, all right, we need to delay it by half a year, delay it by two years or whatever else or cancel it. So 
I think they're just trying to get gather more information to make a, a bit more of an informed decision. So it's kind of frustrating not having the knowledge of whether it's going ahead or not and it's hard to get motivated to kind of get out there when you don't have the races to try and build up towards and whatever else and you don't know when those races are coming back. So it's like hard to try and get back into peak fitness right now. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's been a bit of fun just jogging around with friends and yeah. and catching up with friends like today, just seeing quite a few runners that I haven't caught up with for a long time. So oh, where'd you run today? Uh, out at Yarra Flats. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, like, and who'd you run out there with? Alfie Eela. Madeline, oh, the king. Madeline Hyder and there's oh, Lyndon Hall. Group, and there's, yeah, Watchroom's oh, cool. group and then there's Scrivo's group, uh, Steve Deneen's group and... A few others, so was, I think there's at least... How much of a great place, Al Fahler. Yeah, yeah. He's yep. the king, man. And I, I hadn't seen him for a long time, so... Um, I bumped into it at Dan Murphy's a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I just remember, I said I was going to text him, like, bloody forgot, I'm going to do yeah. that as soon as we finish this podcast. Yeah. So once that run had finished, I think I was probably still there for about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> half an hour to an hour just chatting to people that I haven't seen for a long time. How far so. did you run today? I did 20k. So 20k. So yeah. you're in. A, I love that you say you're yeah. on 20k. But when you got to my house, you said you're in like a recovery period. So yeah. 20k to you is just a that, that's just turning the legs over, just keeping them ticking along. Well, yeah, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really put any emphasis on doing any sessions or that over the last few weeks. It's just been get out there and run when you want or can. Yeah. And how long ago was the marathon in Japan? Yeah. Uh, exactly two weeks now. So today was two weeks so oh, i guess okay. gee i made up i meet up with my coach on tuesday and we'll kind of go through what we're kind of planning towards now and yeah i don't know if i can <laughs> we yeah. can go and plan towards something that's probably not going to happen but i think you've just got to start trying to get fit again and just get self-driven so as an athlete it's more of you just you're just taking it a day at a time just to pretty much yeah. oh, see whether this is going to happen you can't do much else i guess can you it's just a um even the footy clubs that I've been doing a bit of work with down here, they're going, all right, the uh, the season's been – this is obviously not the yeah. top level but more yeah. of the country level. Um, the season's been delayed a little bit. And just to yeah. see that um, – I don't want to say necessarily like the, the lack of um, motivation but just the uncertainty that comes with not having a, a flat-out start point yeah. can really affect your uh, – I guess your training structure like you just said. So are you guys – like after your two weeks of easy running, will you just yeah. start gradually building as though you're going to the Olympics – or will you just start running a lot and then once you get a bit more of a word, you'll start to really tailor it specifically to the events that you're going to? Well, I think it'd be silly not to try and um, prepare for the Olympics because if they decide it goes ahead, and I guess they'll they'll cop, cop a fair bit of um, from the media and everything like that. So um, you just got to prepare that it's going ahead. They haven't announced that it's not, so... And I've just got to hope that I've got a position at the Olympics and whatever else. Um, currently in the qualifying positions, I should be going. But yeah. then, then again, could be discretion. They've got the opportunity. Um, well, interestingly, this Olympics, it's a capped field. Mm-hmm. So generally oh. it's been every country can send three athletes and and that but now it's a cap field of maybe about 80 84 or so so rio olympics was a field of maybe 190 
and this time it's only 84. Oh, so it's been really tough because just because they've added some new sports, surfing and whatever else, skateboarding. Oh, have they? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> so there's, all, awesome. there's all these new sports and it's basically been uh, they've got a limited amount of um, beds. So they've gone, all right, we need to start capping fields and whatever else. So athletics in general took a massive hit. So the standards have been ridiculous. I think maybe for the 10K it was – equivalent of you nearly had to run an Australian record to make I heard this. So I think what was it, like the qualifying time was 27.30 yeah. or something, and I think yeah. Stewie broke the Australian record to qualify. Yeah. And, and then uh, Paddy Tiernan was second and just missed just it. Just missed it, yeah. Exactly. And I reckon up until and what, two or three think, years ago it would have been 27.50 maybe. Yeah, and Pat's just gone and ran maybe – third fastest time ever, fourth fastest <laughs> time in Australian's history, and that's not a not good enough to qualify. So that is a, a bit, crazy thought. It's yeah, it's quite tough this um qualifying period and and that the qualifying standards. So um from what I've been told, um because the marathon's been moved from Tokyo to Sapporo, that now that they've um now that they're not restricted by beds in the Olympic Village, they've now got a higher, like they can probably take more on. And I think they had this original system of 211. They had this idea and they did this statistical analysis of um, qualifying and whatever else, all the marathons that's been ran over the last 10 years or so. And they said, all right, they're trying to introduce a point system. So they said, all right, we think that we're going to get two-thirds of the field run this time. Yeah. So they set 2.11.30 as the standard um, to qualify, like an automatic qualifying time. And then they said, all right, this next third is going to come from points system. So it's going to encourage people to do um, special races, yeah. Oceana champs or whatever, regional championships. So they had this idea they wanted to encourage people to do that. And um, their times, they kind of got their statistics a bit wrong and I think it's probably the carbon fibre shoe effect that sure. we're kind of seeing now. Um, and they've basically filled the full quota from <clears throat> full of time. So people have to- qualified through time. Um so it just meant that it eliminated people trying to qualify through points um, in the marathon. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think it's. They said they were going to honour something along the lines of everyone who ran the time. They're going to go three per per country. They've got their spots honoured if they wanted to take their spots. So. I think that means they're going to have a field which is going to be more than 84 this year because they've sure. they're filled the quota in times but and they weren't expecting that. But I think they've now said that they'll honour that. Yeah, so there, yeah. there might be a field of maybe 90 or 100 people or something like that. Yeah, so, right. Mate, there'll be yeah. plenty of Japanese. Oh, there'll be plenty of marathon runners in general who'd be craving that Japan marathon because well, it's got a reputation for being so quick, I reckon. Well, Has it? Well, it's fast it's, dollars. Maybe I'm just saying that because you and Brett have just returned from Japan. Oh, yeah, definitely. Japan, their running culture is crazy. They're, I, I'd say they're the best 
nation in the world for marathon running and endurance events. So they what love it. What makes it so good? Like it's so it's so crazy. Like I, when I think of Japanese, I don't necessarily think of the marathon, but everyone who comes back from there is like, dude, that's the place to be as it's, a distance runner. It's such a big sport over there, the marathon running. So they've got corporate teams and all that. So people are making livings over there running for these corporate teams and whatever else. Um, and they've just got a culture. I guess maybe maybe it's a samurai salt, uh, samurai um, culture. Uh, there's something along the lines of um, endurance was a trait of the samurai. Oh. And... Maybe that's why they've got this deep respect for the marathon. And the marathon's massive over there. So the race that I did, uh, Lake Biwa, generally not many people would know. Like I guess if you're into your running, you probably would know of Tokyo Marathon. Yeah. So Lake Biwa is probably not that well known around the world. But um, the race that I did, they had – more people tune in for that race than they do for the um, AFL Grand Final. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I think I saw something, the, the female Nagoya Marathon, uh, the female elite marathon in Nagoya that day, they had 40 million <gasps> watch that live. <laughs> so marathon running's massive so over there. So it's a household event for these big marathons. It's, it's a big event. Like you've... Got a few sports over in uh, Japan which are massive, like your your baseball, football, and all that type of stuff. Um, and marathon running's up there as well. And I just found it a bit ludicrous that the Olympic Committee thought that you know what we're going to reduce the number of one of the biggest sports over in Japan and cap the field at eighty four or eighty six or whatever it was. And I'm just like, this is moronic. So this is one of your biggest events. You can line the streets of Tokyo with millions of people. <laughs> yeah. I could only imagine yeah. how big that it'd be. I've done a few races over in Japan and there's, let's say, the Ekinen Relays, um, the Chiba Ekinen Relays, and you've got people lining the streets 10 deep. Just it's just crazy, absolutely crazy how much they love their running over there. And I just thought this is the dumbest decision they could ever make. <laughs> yeah, it'd just be amazing to see that many people lined up, wouldn't it? It'd be great yeah. to watch. I wonder if that's the reason they moved it, just because they're like, this is oh. going to be too hard to control. No, nah, they copped a lot over holding the marathon in Doha or the world championships in Doha. So they're like, oh, you've chosen money over... Okay. Over athletes' health and IAAF are trying to save face and go, well, we're thinking about health here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the athletes are going, but what about the sport? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, they they decided to go, all right, well, it's six degrees cooler at, at this time of the morning in Sapporo, which is, I think, the equivalent of Melbourne to Sydney. So yeah. it's six degrees cooler. At this time of the day, we'll move the race to Sapporo, um, and that's what happens. So. How did you find it as an athlete over there personally? Like the, I don't know if many of the locals knew that you were there for the marathon until you ran it, but did they treat you a little bit like royalty? Were they looking oh, after you? No, they, they probably just thought I was just a tourist. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, for me, I'm just a standard tourist and stuff like that. And I did meet a few people which were 
uh, runners over there and uh, some Japanese runners and they told me about some articles that I didn't have a clue about. Apparently there were some articles about me being a trading runner from Australia. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was interesting. That's to hear really that interesting. Stuff, so. That's really cool. But um, we were talking to some locals like just after the race and um, talking about the marathon and whatever else, um, Lake Biwa, and we just show them a photo like they might not be into their running, but we showed them a photo of us having a photo with Yuki Kawachi. Yeah, I was over in Japan. So full-time teacher. Apparently, if you're in a government position, like a, being a teacher or whatever else, you can't take on a supplementary um, income. So he's been running. He He's renowned for running lots and lots of marathons per year. Eight, oh, no, 12 or yeah. so, even more than 12 marathons a year. He's got the world record for sub to 20 marathons and stuff like that. The Do you most know how fast he's run what his best time is? Uh, I think 208. Oh, so, yeah, oh, wow. he's, he's crazy good and he's a big thing over there. And he was, wasn't professional until recently. But, yeah, well known for being the citizen runner. And we showed a photo just to some people which didn't know – know much about marathon running but they're like they lost it going oh Yuki Kawachi and they absolutely love him and apparently he's got an impersonator who makes a living off being an impersonator of Yuki Kawachi that's when you know you've made it it's it's crazy (laughs) so marathon running is big over there that's uh, that's really insane yeah it's going to be interesting to watch man I've just said we've just we've already talked for an hour wow how are you going are you yeah not bad I was going to say you look like I always always start looking at the eyes of yeah. the person who's on here at this time just to see if they've still got life in it and you're yeah. still looking strong but maybe yeah. that could just be your endurance kicking through um <laughs> you still got a little 30 minutes in you because of course yeah awesome because yep. uh this is we'll, we'll end this one here yeah um but if you're a relaxed running member jump on over to the membership because um i'm gonna pick liam's brain on a few questions around uh just simple tips for improving your, your marathon simple tips for improving your distance running in general but dude that was fun yeah. That was good. I hope it was fun for you. That's all yeah, well, just a one definitely way. good to catch up with you, mate. It's, <laughs> it's been a long time. So. Now, that's the best thing about this podcast is, uh, again, I said to Jess yesterday, I reckon it's been the best thing for mine and her relationship because um, – <laughs> sorry, this isn't, this isn't my Jess. This is yeah. Jess, uh, Jess Stenson because uh, I hadn't talked to her much in the last 10 years. It's just yeah. when you see her, how you going, what are you doing? And I caught up with her twice in the last two months now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reigniting so many friendships just through this thing. But, uh, yeah, it's good to catch up with her. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cheers for having me and uh, good to catch up. Too yeah. easy.